You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Alrighty, any of you parents, grandparents, you got little guys, little guys? First thing you notice when you're a parent, if you're not a parent, write this down. This will be helpful. There's a difference between a want and a need. Amen? You got to learn. Kids don't know the difference. For them, it's all need. I'll never forget one of our uh, kids. We, we'd tuck the kids in bed, and uh, this takes 13 hours. You take 13 hours to tuck the kid in bed. They need to pee 74 times. You got to read them a Bible story. You turn the light off, they get scared. Then they want to talk about their friends, and then they got to go pee again. That's how it goes at bedtime. So it took 13 hours. Finally, get the kids in bed. Wife and I think, Grace and I think, okay, finally, a little bit of us time. We're sitting down. Literally, as soon as we sit down, here, little pitter-patter footsteps. Kid walks up. I said, what's up? They said, uh, I'm thirsty. How can you, oh, yeah, you dehydrated. You just went to the bathroom 72 times. So I said, well, okay, what do you think? And they said, I need, little guy, I need Dr. Pepper. Okay. <laughs> At bedtime, does the, you know, three-year-old son need Dr. Pepper? Yes or no? No, no. All the bad parents said yes. All the good parents said no. And I looked at them, I said, you don't need Dr. Pepper. You want Dr. Pepper. I said, I for sure don't need you to have Dr. Pepper either. It just goes to show that sometimes kids think they know what they need, and it's not, it's not what they need. It's just what they want. What we're learning with Jesus is we take a whole year and we go through the Gospel of John. People keep coming to him, and they're like, here's what we want. Jesus is like, no, here's what you need. They're like, no, here's what we want. He's like, oh, here's what you need. You're going to see it today. And the big idea is sometimes the Jesus you want is not the Jesus you need. That's where we pick up the story today in John chapter 7, starting in verse 25. And if you're new, uh, glad to have you. We're just taking basically a whole year. We're going through a whole book of the Bible called John. It's written by Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. One of my favorite things is to teach the Bible. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. I want you to learn it understand it, discuss it with others, starting with family and friends, and that's what we're all about. So here we start, John chapter 7. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? This may surprise you. All Jesus has done is love people and serve people and feed people, and they want to kill him because he keeps saying that he's God. That's the most controversial part of Jesus' life on the earth is he keeps telling us, He's God, and they're trying to kill him for saying that he's God. And here he is, they say, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. The big debate in this section is, where does Jesus come from? Where does he come from? Uh, They're looking for his origin. And when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, he's a preacher, He's a teacher. They're in the temple. That's kind of like their old covenant church. Jesus gets up to preach the message as he taught in the temple. You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet Come, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, uh, will he do more signs than this man has done? And so the Jesus they want, I'll call him employee Jesus. They want employee Jesus. And employee Jesus would be the Jesus, you tell him what you want, and he says yes all the time. And what they really liked about him, we saw earlier in John's gospel, at a wedding, he turns water into what? Wine, everybody loves that. They're like, I like that free wine guy. Uh, and then he makes uh, bread and fish from a little boy's lunch to feed a multitude. And he also heals people and does miracles. What they like is, hey, I'm in for the free wine, the free bread, and the free health care. Everybody signs up for that. He's very popular. Free, I mean, right now, this would still be very popular, right? If I told you right now, I'm opening a Costco without checkout lines. Everything is free. All the wine and bread and health care you could have will all be yours. You would say... 
<laughs> that's, that's, that's what we were hoping for. So they, they love him making wine. They love him making meals. And they love him providing health care. That's the Jesus they want. They want him to meet their physical needs, not their spiritual needs. Minister to their body, not to their soul. Fix their life not talk about their eternal life. That's how most people are. They're very practical and they think that what they perceive to be their needs are actually their deepest needs. And Jesus says, actually, that's just what you want. That's very different than what you need. So what they need is the real Jesus. He comes as a preacher. He openly, publicly proclaims. He's preaching and teaching here in the temple. And it says, uh, many of the people believed in him. So the real Jesus is a preacher and a savior. And these two things go together. By teaching, people understand who God is. They understand who they are. They understand how to have a relationship with God. And as a result, they are saved. You have many problems, but one problem supersedes them all. And that is the eternal relationship with God. And Jesus comes not just to minister to the body, but to the soul, not just to improve life, but to give eternal life, not just to meet things that we want, but to give things that we truly need. And he does that by preaching, telling them who he is and who they are, and also through evangelizing, saving, seeking them. And that's why there is resistance. There's always resistance where the Bible is taught and people are coming into new relationship with God. Okay, so here's my question for you. You come here today. What is it that you want from Jesus? And is that what you really need from Jesus? What is it that if you could make a request of Jesus today, you would make that request of him? He may grant that request or he may have a higher priority for you and he may have something that you need that you don't even know that you need for you. And so what we see is sometimes the Jesus you want is not the Jesus you need. They're coming to take from him, but they're unwilling to receive from him. They're wanting to take from him what they want. They're not willing to receive from him what he gives. And let me say this as well. Jesus comes and they missed him. They missed him. And, and there are two comings of Jesus in the Bible. There is the first coming where he comes here during his earthly life in ministry. He dies, rises, returns to heaven. The Bible says that there is in fact a second coming of Jesus. And we are living, my friend, in the time between the times. Jesus came the first time. We're waiting for him to come the second time. And what I want you to see is there are lessons from his first coming that can prepare us for his second coming. With his first coming, they believed that they had it all figured out, right? Jesus will come to this place at this time in this way and do these things. And when the real Jesus shows up, he doesn't quite fit their chart, he doesn't quite tick all the boxes on the job description. And the debate is, where does he come from? Because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like the Bible promised. He grew up in an area called Nazareth in a region called Galilee. That's the debate. For a brief season, perhaps some few years, he lived in a nation called Egypt because when he was a little baby, there was a death sentence that was put over the children of God to eradicate the life of Jesus. So he's born in Bethlehem. He lives for a while in Egypt, but his hometown is Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And they're all debating and arguing, where does he come from? What he tells us is, ultimately, he comes from where? Heaven, God the Father. What he's saying is, this is my residence, but that is my, my home. I've come down for a, a little mission and I've come down from the Father. That's the big idea. That's what he is, in fact, saying. Um, the, so when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. That's one of the schools of thought. Um, goes on to say, you know where I come from. Uh, he who sent me is true. I come from the Father is what he's saying. I come from him, God the Father, and he sent me. Jesus is making this radical claim that is almost unprecedented and unparalleled in the history of the world. And that is, 
I've come down from heaven. I've come from the Father. What he's saying is that he is eternal without beginning or end, that he rules and reigns in eternity past with God the Father, and he has come into human history, yes, to be born in Bethlehem, to live in Egypt, to minister in Nazareth, to travel from that region of Galilee into other regions. And they are so debating of his zip code that they overlook and misappropriate who he really is. Uh, Let me say this. They had charts and graphs and expectations and Jesus did not meet all that they were anticipating. And so they missed him and they rejected him. Now, as we are awaiting the second coming of Jesus, it is possible for us, at least some of us, to have such deep convictions about how, when, and where Jesus will come that we could miss him too. Um, There's something called eschatology. It means the study of last things. It's the end times. Sometimes Christians really get into this. Usually these are kids that grew up watching Scooby-Doo and they like to be spooked, okay? So you grow up watching Scooby-Doo, you're like, oh, scary. And then you grow up and then you read Revelation, you're like, oh, scary. And so what happens then, you put together lots of charts and graphs of exactly how Jesus' second coming will happen. Well, they had that with Jesus' first coming and they got it wrong. They got it wrong. Every once in a while in the news, somebody will say, I figured it out. And my answer is always, Jesus says, no one knows the hour nor the day, which means you don't. Okay, so people ask me this all the time. They say, when do you think Jesus will come back? I don't know. I am on the welcoming committee. I'm not on the planning committee. <laughs> I, I, I don't have it as a, 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 an appointment on my calendar. But when he comes, I will eat a cake, blow a kazoo, and put a hat on. For sure. Yay, welcome back. I don't know when that is. Even in the news recently, I knew it wasn't true. They said, Christian numerologist predicts the second coming of Jesus. Christian numerologist? Come on. That's like grape nuts. No grapes, no nuts. Come on. We all know that's not true. Right? Christian numerologist. That's how I know it's not true. You put those two words together. I'm like, that's funny. What that is... That's a chart that says, I figured it out. You know what? Jesus is coming back. It's going to be awesome. Make sure that he's free to come back when, where, and how that he wants. And when he shows up, don't argue with him about your chart. Just give him a hug and say howdy. Amen. That's the big idea. And so what we like to say here is we believe in closed-handed and open-handed issues. Closed-handed issues are those issues that we really are committed to. Open-handed, it's like, you know what? It's in pencil. I could be wrong. So in the second coming of Jesus, Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead, to set up a kingdom that never ends, and he will sentence people to heaven and hell. That's closed hand. Open? When? I don't know. You know, when, it, when, he, when the time is right. How is it all going to play out? You know, I can give you my thoughts, but until he shows up, let me just say this. Don't be dogmatic about things that haven't happened yet as a general rule. Amen? You're like, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know. I, I will wait and see. And so we need to cling to this issue of I want to love Jesus. I want to have my heart ready for Jesus. I want to be prepared to meet Jesus. And I want Jesus to be free to come into my life at whatever point and whatever way that he determines. Some of you, Jesus is already present and active in your life and he's revealing himself to you and you're missing him because you have certain job description and expectation and he has not come in the way that you were hoping. Just receive him. Just receive him in this life and or whenever he returns. That is the big concept and idea. And what they are missing because of their arguing. Let me say this. When you're arguing, when you're debating, when you're fighting, when you're disagreeing, you're not enjoying the ministry of presence. This is true with people and our relationship with God. So uh, the conversation transitions to the ministry of presence. The Pharisees, John 7, 32 through 36, and these are religious leaders heard the crowd muttering these things about him. So there's a, there's a buzz about Jesus. Who is this guy? I heard about him. I've met him. I've seen him. I, there's, he's trending on Twitter. There's, there's a buzz about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, sent officers to arrest him. To arrest him. Jesus was controversial. Jesus is controversial. Jesus fed people, Jesus healed people, but the opposition to Jesus was his declaration that he was God come down to be with us. 
Uh, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. That's ministry of presence together with you. And then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me where I am. You cannot come. The Jews, the religious leaders said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? They don't understand. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks to teach the Greeks? People had scattered and they're wondering, is, is, is he, was he moving? Is Jesus relocating? Did anybody see a U-Haul at his house? Where's he going? You will seek me. What does he mean by saying you will seek me? You will not find me. And where I am, you cannot, you cannot come. He's talking here about the ministry of presence. They're arguing, where did Jesus come from? And Jesus says, here's where I came from. I came from God the Father. I don't know if you caught this in John chapter 1, the very beginning of this book. Let me read two scriptures for you. John chapter one, verse one. It begins by talking about the ministry of presence. This book does. In the beginning was the word and the word was with, that's relational presence, God. The word was God. He uh, was in the beginning with God. So the story of John opens up with the ministry of presence. God, the father and God, the son, They were with, together, relationally, forever, one another. Ministry of presence. Ministry of presence. God the Father, God the Son, eternally together. And then it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling where? Among us. So Jesus, who is present with the Father, comes down to the earth to be present with people. And he brings the presence of God to the people of the world. That's Jesus. That's where every Christmas you're going to get a card from somebody and it'll say Emmanuel on it, which is one of Jesus' titles. And it means God with us, God present with us. This is the relational nature of God. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys are arguing about where I come from. You're not present with me. You're not listening to me. You're not building a relationship with me. You're arguing with me. We do this all the time. And we argue with Jesus like, Jesus, you're not doing what I need you to do. And Jesus say, well, actually, that's a want. That's not a need. Well, Jesus, I disagree with what you're up to. It's like, well, then you're wrong. You know, I mean, it's, we do the same thing that these people do. You just need to see that. And he reminds them, I was present with the Father. I am here now to be present with you. Let's work on the relationship. Let's do life together. And then he says, where I am going, you cannot go. He's speaking the fact that he's going to die on the cross in our place for our sins. But then he's going to demonstrate his resurrection for 40 days. And then he will return to the Father. That's what he's saying. I'm from the Father. I'm present with you. After I die and rise, I'm going to return to the Father and I'll be present with Him and you can't go with me because you don't have a relationship with me. I need you to know that the relationship with Jesus is an eternal relationship. It begins the moment that you meet Jesus and it continues forever. And what Jesus is telling them is, I can be present with you, but you need to make a decision to be present with me. Jesus has been active in your life. I don't know how, when, or where, but I know it's true because he's good. I know that Jesus wants a relationship with you. I know that Jesus wants to be present with you and he wants you to be present with him. And he wants that relationship to continue even after you die. And he has gone back into the father's presence to prepare a place for you so that you could be present with him and present with your heavenly father together forever. And so Jesus makes an invitation, but just like any relationship, you need to respond to it for that to really occur and to be healthy. What he's talking about here is ministry of presence, ministry of presence. And I want to spend a little time camping on this. I was talking to the men at men's ministry on Wednesday night about this. What's amazing to me is that Jesus is God, second member of the Trinity, son of God. He comes into human history God comes down to be present with us. We've seen it in John's gospel. He goes to be present with a guy named Nicodemus and listens to him and answers his questions. He makes a few day walk in the desert to a region called Samaria to sit by a well to visit and meet with a woman. 
so that he can be present with her and minister to her. Jesus is present with crowds. He's present with individuals. He goes into people's homes. He's present with them for relationship and meals. And over and over and over and over and over, Jesus is present with people and they are not listening to him. They're arguing with him. They're not embracing him. They're rejecting him. They're not trying to follow him. Instead, they want to control him. Just see how relational God is and how non-relational oftentimes we are. But it's all this ministry of presence. Let me say this about the ministry of presence. Being there is a tremendous ministry. That's what we learned from the Lord Jesus. I was talking to the men again about this on Wednesday night. And, uh, and you, can be, you can be not physically present. Jesus is here physically present. Sometimes just being physically present is a ministry. How many of you growing up, your mom said something like this, because you are acting up. Your mom said, wait till you're, who gets home? Father, meaning he's coming, right? (laughs) To judge the living and soon to be dead. He's coming, (laughs) right? Right? What mom was saying is dad's presence changes things in the home, changes things in the home. Sometimes just being present physically is a ministry. That's why, that's why I come home for dinner. Just want to be there. That's why when the kids have sporting events, I just, I want to be there. When they look over, I want them to see, I'm here. Somebody say, well, what are you doing? There's nothing I can do, but being there is doing something. Sometimes we are present physically, but we're not present emotionally. We're not compassionate, we're not empathetic, we're not listening. Maybe we've got our own burdens and our own problems, and as a result, we're just not emotionally present. Sometimes we're physically present, but we're mentally distracted and diverted. You're there, but you're not there. You're not listening. This could be you're watching TV, or you're on the phone again, or your mind is consumed with other things. Jesus is physically present, he's mentally present, he's emotionally present, he's spiritually present. Even for those who are not responding, he is still loving, ministering, and serving because our God is a relational God. Um, I, I have tried very hard in my life to be physically present for Grace and the Kids. Um, I go to a lot of baseball games, I've sat at a lot of track meets, I've been to a lot of open houses, I have had a lot of tea parties, a lot of tea parties. I am a tea party veteran with two daughters. But after we moved here, we were having a conversation over dinner, and I felt compelled to ask, is there anything dad could have done better in the recent season, could have done differently, anything that has burdened you that I need to unburden you of? And uh, one, of, one of our kids, very close, loved them. They said it in a kind way, and they said this. I thought it was a really revealing statement. They said, Dad, it's just nice to have you back. I said, what do you mean? Uh, And they said, well, you've just been really distracted. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I apologize and ask your forgiveness. I was physically present, but with transition and change, I got worried and distracted and anxious and planning and, you know, freaking out a little bit, which can be my spiritual gift. Um, and my love language. I mean, so it's like a double dose, you know? And I looked at my child and I said, so were there times that you needed me or you wanted to talk to me or I needed to pray for you and you didn't ask anything Could you? because you could see that I was distracted? And they said, yeah, Dad, there were days like that. I said, ah, okay, I apologize. I am sorry. I ask your forgiveness. And I, I met with the Lord and I was like, Lord, I think I've been physically present, but sometimes mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm gone. You know what I'm talking about? I'm gone. Jesus is here practicing the ministry of presence. He's physically present. He's emotionally present. He's spiritually present. He is present. And that's what he tells them. He says, I'm here with you. Ministry of presence. But I'm not going to be here forever. Eventually, I'm going to return home. And I would like you to be present with me there. But if you're not present with me here, you will not be present with me there. 
getting time in God's presence is crucial to have a relationship with God. This is the difference between solitude and isolation. Okay, So for me, I want to be emotionally, spiritually, physically present for you, for my family, and first and foremost for my wife, my best friend, Grace. For me to be present, I need to get in God's presence. That this relationship teaches me how to have those relationships. That this relationship prepares me for those relationships. That how God is present for me um, instructs me how to be present for those that I love and those that I have the honor of doing life and ministry with. Which means spending time in God's presence has to be our first priority. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, This tends to be, in my experience, far more practical than it is mystical. Some people are like, ooh, in God's presence, do you see fairy dust? And do you, do you hear angels? I haven't. I'm usually in my Jeep. Um, and I usually go silence and solitude up to the mountains. For me, I will literally schedule times in God's presence, just like I would schedule a meeting with anyone else that I love or appreciate or want to build a relationship with. And in those times, I will... Tell people, I'm going to get a solitude day with the Lord. The difference between solitude and isolation is this. Isolation is very unhealthy. Isolation is where you've been hurt, or you're scared, or you're abandoned, or you're betrayed, and you're alone, and that's not a healthy place, because it's not good to be alone. Solitude is not where you're alone, but it's where you take a break, fast for a few hours or days or whatever the case might be from other relationships to devote all your energy to that relationship with the Lord. Solitude is where you meet with God. Isolation is where you're alone. Solitude is where you meet with God. For me, what this looks like is I will literally schedule time with the Lord. I'll put it on the calendar to carve it out. I'll tell Grace, the kids and others, here's what I'm doing. If you want to pray for me or intercede, please do so. I'll get my journal. Okay, what are the things that I want to ask the Lord? What are the things that I want to repent of? What are the things that I want to grow in? What are the decisions that I need to make for the next season? And I will sing, and I will pray, and I will journal. And I'm more of an active person, so I got to get in my Jeep. I go off-roading in the middle of nowhere, find a quiet place. I'll go for a hike or a walk, conversationally talk to the Lord, get time in God's presence. I'll invite God's presence. And I'll ask him questions. Lord, what about this? And sometimes he gives me clear directives and answers. Not all the time. Some of the most important, significant, pivotal events in our whole life, family and ministry, came out of silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and just a day with God. And Grace will tell you, I'm a far better person after I get time in God's presence. Because there are sometimes things that people who love you cannot do for you that only the Lord can do for you. And you're going to exhaust and weary those people, giving them his work. So Grace, at times lovingly, she'll just tell me like, you need to go be with the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, I got nothing for you, sir. You know, like, and you're right, I do. And I always come back and she's like, you're a better, you're a better husband. You're a better father. You're, you're unburdened. You have clarity. Your soul is refreshed in God's presence. See, we were meant to live in God's presence. And then we sinned and we were cast from God's presence. Jesus comes to bring God's presence, bring us back into God's presence. And that's where we were built to live. And anytime we live apart from God's presence, we begin the process of death. We begin the process of death. And Jesus here is talking to them about the ministry of presence. And let me say this too. For some of you, I just want to encourage you. You may not understand that your presence is a ministry. Jesus' presence is a ministry. Grace and I first got married. She's a gal who likes to do a lot of things. She's very active and busy. And I'd be sitting on the couch and she'd she'd be moving. I mean, she's quick. I mean, she's just, you know, I'm like, wow, there she goes. Okay. And I'm sitting there because that's that's me. And and I remember telling her, I said, hey, baby, I said, why don't you come sit on the couch? She said, I can't, I have too much to do. I said, no, you got to come sit on the couch. Please come sit on the couch. She comes, sits on the couch. 
She's a little fidgety. And uh, she's like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. I said, you're doing something for me. I said, it's not just what you do for me. It's just being with me that's a ministry. Okay? Sometimes it's just being there. It's just being there, coming home for dinner. Somebody's in the hospital, it's sitting in the waiting room. It's just being there. Just being there. Just being there. Recently, Grace served as a chaperone. Our youngest daughter is in choir. She's the only one in the family that can sing. She's got a great voice. And so they go to a competition in California, 120 middle school kids. They got on a bus and left at midnight to drive to California. Brilliant idea. Um, I, I just, I pictured guards dying, mattresses on fire, complete prison riot. That's what I envision. She was gone all week and I was home alone. I hated it. It was the weird, I travel sometimes for business. Um, but when you're home alone as a man without your wife, you just feel like you did something terribly wrong. Right? <laughs> it was horrible. I'm eating breakfast alone. I'm eating lunch alone. I'm eating dinner alone. I'm going to bed alone. Uh, there were times I forgot Grace was gone in the middle of the day and I'd go looking for her around the house. Hey, babe. Hey, hey, Grace, Grace. Hey, babe, babe. You upstairs, babe. Oh, she's in California. Ah, I hated that. I hated that. I just like having her around. Um, God loves you. And he likes having you around. Okay? God loves you, wants a relationship with you. He likes having you around. Spending time in God's presence is allowing him to minister to you because he wants a relationship with you. Amen? And so what <laughs> God comes down. They're like, Jesus, where were you born? He's like, really? We're going to do this? How about we hang out? They're like, no, we'd rather argue. I don't want to argue. Why don't we hang out? Now we have a chart. Let's talk about the chart. He's like, oh, really? Is there anything on the chart where you're quiet? You know, like, I mean. <laughs> okay. So what happens when you get in God's presence, you enjoy the life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit? Okay. So Jesus is trying to tell him, John 7, 37 through 39. And the last day of the feast, this is the Feast of Booths. It's like their 4th of July. It's the end of harvest. Summer's come. The weather's nice. Kids are out of school. Yay, we got the weekend off. Everybody go to Flag. Everybody go to Rocky Point. Everybody go to San Diego, right? It's time. And they would sleep in tents to remember the Old Testament where they slept in tents during the Exodus. So it's camping, right? If, if you love God and camping, this is a big day for you. Uh, the great day, Jesus stood up. He's a preacher. He gets up to preach and teach and he cries out in a loud voice. He's very passionate. This matters very much to him. If anyone thirsts, they live in a climate much like ours. How many of you know what thirst is like? How many of you are new to the valley? If you love your kids, first thing you do, you buy them a water bottle and you fill it. That's the first thing you do. You're going to get really dehydrated living here, right? Dehydration is a constant concern and problem. They live in an arid desert climate, much like ours. They're like, we get thirsty. Jesus is taking a physical need to communicate a spiritual truth. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He's talking about sustaining the soul, not just the body. Most people are far more concerned about their body than their soul. Well, I eat and I drink and I exercise, but do you pray and worship and study God's word? No, I don't. Then your soul is dehydrated, even though your body might be hydrated. God cares for the whole person, wants to minister to all of you. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, this is the key. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the issue. They saw Jesus, they didn't believe in him. They heard Jesus, they didn't believe in him. They knew people that believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe in him. My question for you is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Jesus says, if you believe in me, as the scripture has said, Jesus is a Bible guy, out of his heart, center of your being, 
900 times the Bible talks about your heart, your life, your words, your relationships, your decisions, they all flow out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. How much do we like rivers of living, flowing water? Do we like those? Very much. Very much. Because that brings life and refreshment and healing. Now this he said about God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son comes and gives God the Spirit. Here's the whole trinity. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, before the first coming of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would be given to people to empower them for ministry and service. Once Jesus dies and rises, returns to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. We have those who are believers in Jesus, the ongoing person, presence, and power of God, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. He was talking about sending the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. This world, my friend, it's a desert for your soul. We live in a place that is a desert for your body. This world is a desert for your soul. Some of you have tried to find nourishment, life, sustenance in relationships, in politics, in morality, in spirituality, in academia, in buying and selling. And what you find is you are dissatisfied. You are not healthy. Your thing is not working. Because this world is nothing but a desert for the human soul. There's no life here. And what is interesting, after we move to the valley, occasionally we'll go hiking as a family. My kids are of that age where we can go out. And what I find is we will drive hours to get to a place that has water. Right? Because everything is different when you drive through the desert and you arrive at the place where there is water. There is life where there is water. There is refreshment where there is water. There is calm and peace where there is water. My favorite birthday, I think, of all time, uh, we went up hiking in Sedona. And you, you just venture through this barren desert. There's nothing there. And then you arrive at the river where there are streams of living, flowing water. Not stale pond water, living, flowing, fresh water. And it's at the bottom of the canyon. And there are trees, so it's cooler. And you can hear the birds chirping. And you can hear the water babbling and flowing. And, and when you're feeling a little warm, you step into the river and you cool your face. And for me, this was one of my favorite birthdays of my whole life. And I thought, you know what, isn't it amazing that, that the whole world is a desert and those who receive the Holy Spirit, they get to live in a place that is like that. The, the, the solution for your life is not the absence of your troubles, but the presence of the Spirit. That everything can be a desert and out of you can flow streams of living, life-giving, refreshing, healing water the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You hear Christians talk a lot about their personal relationship with Jesus, which I fully encourage. I also would encourage you to follow in the example of Jesus who had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're talking about he, not it. That's what Jesus says later in John. We're not talking about an impersonal force. We're talking about a personal God. We're talking about the third member of the Trinity who brings the life-giving, healing presence of God into you. Let me say this. Every time you have a drink, try and remind yourself, as much as my body needs this drink, my soul needs the Holy Spirit. Your body cannot function without water. It gets dehydrated and dies. Your soul cannot function without the Holy Spirit. Your soul gets dehydrated and begins to wither and die. 
Some of you, your body is healthy, but your soul is dehydrated. You're, you're thirsty, you're parched, you're seeking to find nourishment, refreshment, sustenance, and life in a desert, and all you are doing is just drinking sand instead of fresh water. And what Jesus says is quite remarkable, and that is, as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, the life of God will start to exist in the depths of your being, in your soul. You will then become a person who increasingly experiences the life of God. Then you can have an opportunity to be a life-giving person to others. And what we've seen so far in John's gospel, the people who are coming to Jesus, they are life-taking. They are taking time, energy, life from him. Ultimately, they want to take his life. That's how life-taking they are. Some people are life-taking. They take time. They take energy. They take, they take, they take. They do not give life. Jesus comes to give life and to make you a person who is life-giving to other people. Let me say, this is the key to all of your relationships, all of your relationships. This will change your friendships. This will change your work relationships. This will change your marital relationship. This will change your parental relationship. This will change your grandparental relationship. You can forgive if you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit. You can love if you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit. You can bless if you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit. That God will take his life, put it in you, and then it'll flow through you to others. And just like a river that flows through a desert and life follows in its wake, so you will find as you are filled with the Spirit and flowing with the Spirit that life flows through you and it brings life to others and it gives you the opportunity to experience the life-giving relationship with Jesus and then to be a life-giving person to others. I'll never forget, it was the hardest season of our whole life. I was not doing great, and I was very concerned for the well-being of our family. And, um, and honestly, it just felt like all of a sudden it was desert. Like, wh- where are we? Where, where, where do we go? Where is their life? And uh, the phone rang, and it was a pastor I won't name drop. It was a, a well-known evangelical Christian leader. Phone rang, and I, I'm... Uh, not really excited to be taking calls. And I take the call and I, I don't know them. They said, uh, hey, Mark, this is Pastor So-and-so. I said, okay. And this pastor asked, said, can I ask you some questions? And I'm like, ugh, literally, like, ugh. It's like you get punched in the middle. You're like, ugh. Because questions usually mean interrogations, <laughs> right? People, when somebody's like, I don't mean to judge you, you know what they're going to do? And judge you. I don't mean to rush to conclusion, which means like, I'm already there, okay? Like, so far, when Jesus, come, when Jesus is talking to people, they don't come to him with questions. They come with him, to him with interrogations. They've already reached a decision, and they want to fight. And I'm like, uh, okay, let me sit down here, put my cup on. You know, I'm like, okay. Uh, all right, ask your questions. I should have said helmet. I meant to say helmet. But, uh, okay, so either way, put your cup and helmet on. So I'm sitting down, and... He says, okay, first, first question. He says, uh, how is your wife Grace doing? I literally started choking up. I said, uh, hey, thanks for asking. Actually, I think you're the first person that's called and asked about my wife Grace. And I love her and thank you for asking. So I said, well, we're doubling down on our friendship and we're hanging together. But this is a hard season for her. And then he asked, how is your oldest daughter Ashley? I never met this person. I said, well, here's where she's at. She's a high school senior. She's processing things. We've got to figure out what the next season of life looks like. And he says, how's your oldest son, Zach, doing? He goes through all my kids. How's Calvin? How's Alexi? How's Gideon? I said, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, what's that? I said, did your assistant give you a list with the names of all of my family members? <laughs> and he said, no. I've been praying for them with my wife every day, and so I know your family's names by heart life-giving. I felt an impartation of life. 
Right. It's good to get information. It's better to get impartation. Okay. Information will clarify your mind. Impartation will refresh your soul. And he said, uh, my wife and I want to see you and your wife. We want you to get on a plane and come down and hang out with us. Now, you and I are very unlikely to inconvenience ourselves to go spend time with life-taking people. Amen? Right? Some of you, that's why you moved to Arizona. You're like, our family's there. We're moving. Okay? <laughs> right? Notice everybody chuckled. I really hit something there. Okay, so... So I said, honey, I, I want to go be with these people. So we got on a plane. We flew down. They picked us up at the airport, gave us a big hug. They took us to their home. The pro- they didn't know us. We're sitting with them. Um, they fed us. They processed with us. They prayed for us. They loved us. It was life-giving. It's like you're walking through a desert, you're totally dehydrated, and you come upon an oasis, and you sit in the shade. You're like, oh, I'm so glad to be here. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Next thing I know, their kids and their grandkids show up. And they are life-giving kids and grandkids. These were two life-giving people that had a life-giving marriage. Their children grow up, in the life of the Spirit, they're life-giving children who then marry life-giving people. And next thing you know, this family's got life-giving grandkids. And we were sitting there enjoying this oasis of a family. And uh, I said, why did you bring me here? They said, when hard times come, we pull the family together and we seek God's presence And we wanted you to come and be with our family so you could experience the love and the healing of God's presence with our family. Because when hard times come, this is the most life-giving place that we have found. And I remember Grace looking at me and saying, I want a marriage like that. I want to have a family like that. I want us to be life-giving people who do life and give life. That was one of the most healing, encouraging, significant moments in our whole life. I was talking to Grace about this and uh, between services, and she said, you know, I don't think we'll ever have that experience with those people again. I think it was once. That's all we needed because it gave us hope and help and healing in the presence of God with people who lived in the presence of God. And I'll be honest with you, I think, as I look back, that was probably the spiritual beginning of the Trinity Church. That was probably the beginning spiritually of the Trinity Church. And I want us to be a life-giving people. I want this to be a life-giving place. And when I open God's Word, I want it to be life-giving Bible teaching. Okay? Because not only physically do we live in a desert, spiritually we do too. And there's lots of places you can go if you want to be beat up. There are very few places to go if you want to be built up. And what I find with healthy, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving people, they give life. They build up. They don't beat up. They're life-giving, not life-taking. And here's, here's what Grace said as we were chatting between services. It was a great observation. She said, Mark, everybody was taking from Jesus, but no one was receiving They took the wine, they took the bread, they took the miracle. They weren't receiving the Holy Spirit. They weren't receiving the invitation to salvation. They were not receiving his teaching. Many people want to take, but they don't want to receive. For the people who receive, they receive the gift of salvation through Jesus, the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be encouraged. God wants you to be hopeful. God wants you to be forgiving. God wants you to experience his life. And God wants others to experience his life through you. And let me say, that's why the Bible says it's good news. You're going to turn on the news tonight, and this is not going to be the story. 
you know, news at 11, you can be emotionally healthy, relationally healed, encouraged in the presence of God, flow with the spirit of God and forgiveness in life. No, there's only one place that you can get that good news. And that is from the word of God. And that is in the presence of God. Amen. Now, what you're going to see is how people respond to this. That's the last slides. They're going to make their decision about who Jesus is. You've got to make your decision about who Jesus is for you. So everyone has to live with their decision about Jesus. So after Jesus teaches and loves and serves, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. You know what? That's it. Jesus tells the truth. He is exactly who he says he is. I hear God through the voice of Jesus. Others said, he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one we've all been waiting for. But there's always these kids. Some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? We don't know if he fits a chart. (laughs) If you don't want to believe in Jesus, any stupid argument will do. Say, did he say stupid? Why did he say stupid? Because half the arguments are stupid. Jesus has just told him who he is. He showed him who he is. And if you don't want to believe in Jesus, any old argument will do. Has not the scripture said, you know what's weird? Some people will use the Bible to argue against Jesus. They're like, I was reading the Bible and Jesus is wrong. Then you didn't read it well. Okay, you're just like, you're like, Rock, paper, scissors, Jesus. It's always Jesus. You know, he always wins. You missed it. There are whole religions, false teachings. They will quote the Bible to argue against Jesus. That's why you need to know the Bible, but you need to know that the Bible is all about Jesus and you need to know Jesus. Right? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem to the village where David was born? That's true. That's exactly what it says. That's what Jesus did. He is biblical. So there was a division among the people over him. Does this division still continue? People still divided over Jesus? Yes. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him in? Where's Jesus? We sent you out to arrest him. Where is he? They're going to send the leaders out to do the dirty work on behalf of the, the overseers. The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. They're like, ah, we were going to arrest him. And they started talking. We're like, "Mm, probably not a good idea. It seems like he is who he said he is. So we didn't feel good about putting him in an orange jumpsuit, throwing him in the back of the car. The Pharisees answered them. Have you been deceived? Answer? No. No. So then they asked the question, have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? Now it's slander, it's ridicule. Now it's social pressure. Anybody, we're going to shoot Jesus. Any of you with Jesus? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. We're biblical. They're not. We understand the word of God. They do not. Jesus comes and says, actually, this is about me and I'm here. You want to argue with me. You don't want to listen to me. You want to kill me. You don't want a relationship with me. Now you're going to hurt the people who love me. Nicodemus, he appeared earlier in the book. He was a religious leader who met with Jesus and had some questions. Who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus says, how about before we shoot him, we talk to him? No, it's a waste of time. It's amazing. Some of you have heard a lot about Jesus, but you haven't heard anything from Jesus. Some of you will quote everybody's opinion about Jesus and you haven't taken time to let Jesus speak for himself. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, which is not entirely true. There was a prophet named Jonah who was from that region some years prior. When it comes to Jesus, the most important decision you will ever make is what you think about Jesus. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked this question, who do you say that I am? 
The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus. The most important decision, my friend, you will ever make is whether or not you will believe in Jesus. The most significant person in the history of the world is Jesus. The person about whom more books have been written because there are more opinions regarding him than anyone who has lived in the history of the world is Jesus. And everyone has their opinion, but you need to make your decision. And you need to live with the consequences of your decision. And I'll just read for you some of what we have heard just thus far in John. Firstly, let me say that there are some who respond negative. They want to arrest and murder him. There are some who are neutral like Nicodemus and say, we need to hear him. There are some who are positive. There are negatives, neutrals, and positives. The positives say, he is the prophet, he is the Christ. We are with Jesus. That's where I want you all to land. John chapter 1, Jesus is revealed as the word of God, as being eternal, the creator, your creator, the light of the world, the Lord, the Christ, the giver of the Holy Spirit, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man. John chapter 2, He is the temple of God's presence on the earth. He is the Son of God the Father, and He is a miracle worker. John chapter 3, He is a rabbi or teacher, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Savior, the Christ, the one from heaven, and the one who delivers us from the wrath of God. John chapter 4, He is the prophet who tells the truth and brings the word of God. He is the Messiah who comes to seek and save and serve. He is the rabbi who comes to instruct and correct. He is the savior of the world for all nations and languages and peoples and types. And that he is the healer, not only of the body, but also the soul. In John chapter 5, he again is the healer. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is equal with God the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the Son of Man. He is the resurrection and the life. And He is the center of all of Scripture and history. And in John chapter 6, He gives bread. He walks on water. And He reveals Himself as the bread of life come down from heaven. In John chapter 7, he is revealed as the teacher who tells us who God is and who we are. He is a miracle worker. He is a savior. He is the truth-telling prophet. He is the delivering Christ. And he is the object of our faith. He is the Jesus that you need. Let me say this. We're going to respond to Him. We're going to invite the presence of God. We're going to enjoy the presence of God. I don't know what burden you bring. Hand it to Jesus. I don't know what fear you have. Hand it to Jesus. I don't know what regret you continue to carry. Carry that to the cross of Jesus. Give it to Him who died in your place for your sin so that you might be forgiven. Some of you need healing. Some of you need hope. Some of you need help. Some of you are discouraged and you need refreshment. Some of you are exhausted and weary and you need the real Jesus and you really need him to give to you the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the life of God. He'll give you the passion of God. He'll give you the joy of God. He'll give you the hope of God. He'll give you the healing of God. What you want may not be what you need, but Jesus wants to meet with you now. He invites you into his presence so that he can meet with you, so that he can minister to you, so he can serve you, so he can help you, so he can heal you, so he can refresh you, so he can encourage you, so he can unburden you. There is nobody like Jesus. There's nobody equal to Jesus. There is never going to be any invitation that is anything like the invitation that Jesus gives. Sin gone, the presence of God given, burdens lifted, hope encouraged, resurrection and eternal life in the presence of God forever. 
I want God to give you life. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We invite you to be with these people. We invite the streams of living water, life-giving where we are dying, refreshment where we are exhausted, cooling at the soul level in a barren, desolate, devastated world. Father, I pray for the Trinity Church that this would be a life-giving place. Father God, I pray that right now this would be a life-giving moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you and your presence. Bring us the life of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you told us that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Holy Spirit, we need help. Help us as you help Jesus. Lord God, I pray if anyone here do not believe in Jesus, Holy Spirit, right now, please give them faith. And as we come forward for communion, as we partake of bread and wine, we remember people who all they wanted from Jesus was some free bread and some free wine. They remind us, Lord Jesus, that you give us what we need, forgiveness of sin through your broken body and shed blood. You take out a heart of stone. You give us a heart of flesh. You put in us the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, in worship right now, we want those streams of living water to flow in us and through us in worship to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.